Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. Our selection this time, The Earth Quarter by Damon Knight, read by Perry F. Bruns, Part 1. The sun had set half an hour before. Now, from the window of Laszlo Kudik's garret, he could see how the alien city shone frost-blue against the black sky. The tall hive shapes that no man would have built, glowing with their own light. Nearer, the slender, drunken shafts of lampposts marched toward him down the street, each with its prosaic yellow globe. Between them and all around, the darkness had gathered, darkness in angular shapes, the geometry of squalor. Kudik liked this view, for at night the blackness of the earth quarter seemed to merge with the black sky as if one were a minor extension of the other. 
a fist of space held down to the surface of the planet. He could feel then that he was not alone, not isolated and forgotten, that some connection still existed across all the light years of the galaxy between him and what he had lost. And again the view depressed him, for at night the city seemed to press in upon the quarter like the walls of a prison. The quarter, sixteen square blocks, about the size of those of an earth city, 2,300 human beings of three races, four religions, 18 nationalities. The only remnant of the human race nearer than Capella. Kudik felt the night breeze freshening. He glanced upward once at the frosty blaze of stars, then pulled his head back inside the window. He closed the shutters, turning to the lamp-lit table with its hopeless clutter of books, pipes, and dusty miscellany. Kudik was a man of middle height, heavy in the shoulders and chest, blunt-featured with a shock of graying black hair. He was fifty-five years old. He remembered Earth. A drunk stumbled by in the street below, cursing monotonously to himself, paused to spit explosively into the gutter, and faded into the night. Kudik heard him without attention. He stood with his back to the window, looking at nothing, his square fingers fumbling automatically for pipe and tobacco. Why do I torture myself with that look out the window every night? he asked himself. It's a juvenile sentimentalism. But he knew he would go on doing it. Other noises drifted up to his window, faint with distance. They grew louder. Kudik cocked his head suddenly, turned and threw open the shutters again. That had been a scream. He could see nothing down the street. The trouble must be farther over, he thought, on Kwang Chao Fu or Washington. The noise swelled as he listened, the unintelligible wailing of a mob. Footsteps clicked hurriedly up the stairs. Kudik went to the door, made sure it was latched, and waited. There was a light tapping on the door. Who is it? he said. Li Fa! He unlatched the door and opened it. The little Chinese blinked at him, his upper lip drawn up over incisors like a rodent's. Mr. So say, please, you come. Without waiting for an answer, he turned and wrapped his way down into darkness. Kudik picked up a jacket from a wall hook and paused for a moment to glance at the locked drawer in which he kept an ancient thirty-two automatic and two full clips. He shook his head impatiently and went out. Lee was waiting for him downstairs. When he saw Kudik open the outer door, he set off down the street at a dog trot. Kudik caught up with him at the corner of Athenai and Brasil. They turned right for two blocks to Washington, then left again. A block away at Rosia and Washington, there was a small crowd of men struggling in the middle of the street. They didn't seem to be very active. As Kudik and Lee approached, they saw that only a few were still fighting and those without a great deal of spirit. The rest were moving aimlessly, 
some wiping their eyes, others bent almost double in paroxysms of sneezing. A few were motionless on the pavement. Three slender Chinese were moving through the crowd. Each had a white surgeon's mask tied over his nose and mouth and carried a plastic bag full of some dark substance from which he took handfuls and flung them with a motion like a sewer's. Kudik could see now that the air around them was heavy with floating particles. As he watched, the last two fighters in the crowd each took a half-hearted swing at the other, and then, coughing and sneezing, moved away in separate directions. Lee took his sleeve for a moment. Here, Mr. Kudik. Sewell was standing in the doorway of Town Hall, his round-bellied bulk almost filling it. He saluted Kudik with a lazy, humorous gesture of one fat hand. Hello, men, Kudik said. You're efficient, as always. Pepper again? Yes, said Mayor Sewell Min. I hate to waste it, but I don't think the water buckets would have been enough this time. This could have been a bad one. How did it start? A couple of Ruskies caught Jim Lung sneaking into Madame May's, the fat man said laconically. His shrewd eyes twinkled. I'm glad you came down, Laszlo. I want you to meet an important visitor who arrived on the Kata'ith ship this afternoon. He turned slightly, and Kudik saw that there was a man behind him in the doorway. Mr. Harkway, may I present Mr. Laszlo Kudik, one of our leading citizens? Mr. Kudik, James Harkway, who was here on a mission from the Minority People's League. Kudik shook hands with the man, who had a pale, scholarly face. Not bad-looking with dark, intense eyes. He was young, about thirty. Kudik automatically classified him as second generation. Perhaps, said Sue, as if the notion had just occurred to him, you would not mind taking over my duties as host for a short time, Laszlo, if Mr. Hawkway would not object. This regrettable occurrence. Of course, Kudik said. Harkway nodded and smiled. Excellent. Sue edged past Kudik, then turned and put a hand on his friend's arm, drawing him closer. Take care of this fool, he said under his breath. And for God's sake, keep him away from the saloons. Rack is in town, too. I've got to make sure they don't meet. He smiled cheerfully at both of them and walked away. Lee Farr, appearing from somewhere, trailed after him. A young Chinese, with blood streaming brightly from a gash in his cheek, was stumbling past. Kudik stepped away from the doorway, turned him around, and pointed him down the street, to where Seo's young men were laying out the victims on the sidewalk and administering first aid. Kudik went back to Harkway. I suppose Seo has found you a place to stay, he said. Yes, said Harkway. He's putting me up in his home. Perhaps I'd better go there now. I don't want to be in the way. You won't be in the way, Kudik told him. What would you like to do? Well, I'd like to meet a few people if it isn't too late. Perhaps we could have a drink somewhere where people meet? He glanced interrogatively down the street to an illuminated sign that announced in English and Russian, The Little Bear, Wines and Liquors. Not there, said Kudik. 
That's Rusky headquarters, and I'm afraid they may be a little short-tempered right now. The best place would be Chongyin's tea room, I think. That's just two blocks up, near Washington and Sesko-Slovensko. All right, said Harkway. He was still looking down the street. Who is that girl? he asked abruptly. Kudik glanced that way. The two MDs, Moskowitz and Estrada, were on the scene, sorting out the most serious cases to be carted off to hospital. And so was a slender, dark-haired girl in nurse's uniform. That's Kathy Burgess, he said. I'd introduce you, but now isn't the time. You'll probably meet her tomorrow. She's very pretty, said Harkway, and suffered himself to be led up the street. Married? No. She was engaged to one of our young men, but her father broke it off. Oh, said Harkway. After a moment, political differences? Yes, the young man joined the activists. The father is a conservative. That's very interesting, said Harkway. After a moment, he asked, Do you have many of those here? Activists or conservatives? Or pretty girls? I meant conservatives, said Harkway, coloring slightly. I know the activist movement is strong here. That's why I was sent. We consider them dangerous in the extreme. So do I, said Kudik. No, there aren't many conservatives. Burgess is the only real fanatic. If you meet him, by the way, you must make certain allowances. Harkway nodded thoughtfully. Cracked on the subject? You could put it that way, Kudik told him. He has convinced himself, in his conscious mind at least, that we are the dominant species on this planet, that the Niori are our social and economic inferiors. He won't tolerate any suggestion that it isn't so. Harkway nodded again, looking very solemn. A tragedy, he said, but understandable, of course. Some of the older people simply can't adjust to the reality of our position in the galaxy. Not many people actually like it, said Kudik. Harkway looked at him thoughtfully. He said, Mr. Kudik, I don't want you to take this as a complaint, but I've gathered the impression that you're not in sympathy with the Minority People's League. No, said Kudik. May I ask what your political viewpoint is? It's neutral, said Kudik. Apolitical. Harkway said politely, I hope you won't take offense if I ask why. It's evident, even to me, that you're a man of intelligence and ability. Everything is evident to you, Kudik thought wearily, except what you don't want to see. He said, I don't believe our particular Humpty Dumpty can be put back together again, Mr. Harkway. Harkway looked at him intently, but said nothing. He glanced at the signboard over the lighted windows they were approaching. Is this the place? Yes. Harkway continued to look at the sign. Above the English Chong Yin's Tea Room and the Chinese characters was a legend that read, That's a curious alphabet, he said. It's a very efficient one, Kudik told him. It's based on the design of an X in a rectangle like this. He traced it with his finger on the wall. Counting each arm of the cross as one stroke, there are eight strokes in the figure. 
Using only two strokes to a letter, there are 28 possible combinations. They use the 16 most graceful ones and add 27 three-stroke letters to bring it up to 43, one for each sound in their language. The written language is completely phonetic, therefore. But there are only eight keys on a Nyori typewriter. He looked at Harkway. It's also perfectly legible. No letter looks too much like any other letter. And it has a certain beauty, don't you think? He paused. Hasn't it struck you, Mr. Harkway, that anything our hosts do is likely to be a little more sensible and more sensitive than the human equivalent? I come from Regote, said Harkway. They don't have any visual arts or any written language there. But I see what you mean. What does the sign say? The same thing as the English? No. It says, Yongiwo Ren Trakru Rith. Trakru Rith is Nyori for hospitality house. It's what they call anything that we would call tea room or restaurant or beer garden. And Yongiwo Ren? That's their version of Zhongwo Ren, the Chinese for Chinese. At first they called us all that because most of the original immigrants were from China. But they've got over it now. They found out some of us didn't like it. Kudik opened the door. A few aliens were sitting at the round tables in the big outer room. Kudik watched Harkway's face and saw his eyes widen with shock. You've just listened to Part 1 of The Earth Quarter by Damon Knight here on Calm Mystery. Join us next time to find out what shocked Harkway so much. Calm Mystery is a Murder Mystery Company production, part of American Immersion Theater, Scott Crampton, executive producer. Our editor is Audra Schildhaus. If you enjoy Calm Mystery, please take the time to rate us and leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. It helps spread the word, and the comments let us know what you like and how we can improve. While you're at it, tell a friend who enjoys a good story, or even an enemy if you need a distraction, and subscribe if you haven't already. That way you won't miss an episode. They'll download to your device when you least expect it. In the meantime, stay calm. Mystery is everywhere. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM. C-A-L-M for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.